For those of you who have been with us on Wednesday nights, you know that we've been recently using Robert Jones' book, Pursuing Peace, as kind of the background for considering pursuing relational peace as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. I mentioned this for a few reasons here. One, if you haven't been with us, consider coming this Wednesday night and joining us for this study as we work our way through this important topic in living out the Christian life. But also, we do have books out there at the welcome desk available. If you're interested in purchasing one, they are $10. If, if that's a problem for you, don't, don't worry about it. We would rather you have the book, okay? So, we do have copies of the book available. If you are interested in getting one, you can just stop by the welcome desk. Whether or not you're going to come on Wednesday night, the book is a helpful book, so I, I encourage you to get that. But also, if you've been with us on Wednesday night, some of what we're going to be thinking about this morning will sound familiar, but it's not simply a rehash of ground that has already been traveled. And I think for all of us, it will be helpful for us to think about what the Apostle Paul says and other places in Scripture about the peace of the God of peace. Follow along as I read Philippians 4, 4 through 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. So primarily as we think about these verses, we're considering in particular what Paul writes in verse 7 and in verse 9, where in verse 7 he speaks of God and the peace that he gives and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. And then in the conclusion of this section there at the end of verse 9, he writes this promise, the God of peace will be with you. So in light of what Paul says here, what I'd like for us to do is, or my goal, my goal in this time together is that we would rejoice and rest in the peace of the God of peace. Rejoice and rest in the peace of the God of peace. In order to move in that direction. I think there are three things that we should observe. First is the lack of peace. The lack of peace. Second is the source of peace. The source of peace. And then thirdly, the gift of peace. The gift of peace. So the lack of peace, the source of peace, and then the gift of peace. Well, first of all, the lack of 
peace. We've talked about, as we've worked our way through the book of Philippians, a number of times about the disruptions, the opposition that the church at Philippi was facing. So just as a quick reminder, two ways there was a lack of peace in their experience. One was from the outside world, as the outside world was trying to oppose them and minimize their gospel witness, discourage them in their faithfulness. There was an experience, of course, there with conflict, with opposition. But we also see that there was conflict, some measure of a lack of peace within the congregation itself. There was some sort of dispute, disruption that was afflicting the congregation. We saw this back in verse 2 of chapter 4. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel. So there was some sort of conflict dispute between these two women that seems to have been influencing, impacting the rest of the congregation. So, as Paul writes to them, here in the middle of chapter 4, he writes to those who are experiencing an absence of some measure of peace in their lives. Can you associate? Can you associate with experiencing a lack of peace? You don't have to look far in our world to realize that we are woefully in need of peace. We experience it in our, in our own households, don't we? Even husbands and wives whose deep down desire is to honor the Lord Jesus Christ and model before a watching world the relationship that Christ has with His church. Even a couple such as that experiences marital strife. It's two sinners relating to one another. Parents with their children. You with your extended family know what it is to be in relational conflict. To experience some measure of the absence of peace. Perhaps with your neighbors. But even outside of just your, your own circle there, it can happen in church life, can't it? Oh, we've all heard the... Well, how do I put it? The stories. We'll just call it the stories, right? Of churches in conflict. Sometimes over significant matters. Sometimes over things well, less than significant, right? Like the color of the carpet, color of the pews. Those things can cause conflict in the life of a church, but also locally, at the state level, nationally, globally. There, there are manifold evidences, manifold examples of conflict in our world that cry out for peace. But... How do we explain this lack of peace? Well, we could try and pinpoint in each individual relationship specific issues that 
are causing the conflict, are causing the problem, and seek to deal with those issues. And that would be right and good insofar as it can go and insofar as the absence of peace in those relationships, either personally or even globally between two nations, can be pinpointed to specific issues in the relationship. But we know in... If we've listened to Scripture, we know that ultimately all conflict finds its cause in one origin, in one issue. And it's that three-letter word, sin. Now, here we also have to be careful because while we can look for band-aid solutions to conflict in pinpointing specific issues, and if we just get these issues worked out, everything will be okay. Friends, we can also use that three-letter word as a band-aid solution to the conflict when we say, well, it's just sin. It's just sin, and we just need to confess our sin and move on. Yes, we need to confess our sin, but when sin results in conflict, we cannot simply just generically say it's sin and expect that we will experience peace. We have to go a step further and say, how is that sin showing up? What is the specific aspect of sin in my life that is leading to this conflict? So we do have to point to the specific issues And we have to point to sin, and together we can pursue true and lasting peace when we recognize that it is our sin that is leading to conflict. And it is only as we confess and seek to address our sin that we can experience the peace of the God of peace. Now, What is conflict? I would suggest that conflict or the absence of peace shows up when one or more parties have unmet desires or expectations in a relationship. Let me repeat that. Conflict or the absence of peace shows up when one or more parties have unmet expectations in a relationship. So think about a conflict that you have with a friend. Your friend does something or says something that you don't like. There is a desire for harmony. There is a desire for a particular experience of friendship that has gone unmet in that moment. And what can arise is conflict. And this is a description, I think, that can apply to all of those forms of conflict that we described before. Global conflict, unmet desires of one nation in relation to another nation. 
at the political level, at the national level and the political level. Unmet desires, unmet desires for one party with respect to another party, though they can never satisfy one another. But now I've gone too far. Conflict. Conflict shows up when our desires go unmet. And friends, this is true with the fundamental conflict that we experience in this life, and that is conflict with God. Conflict with God because of Romans 3.23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In our relationship with God, we have failed to live up to his desires for us. We have failed to live up to his desires in our sin, and there is conflict, which must be addressed. Well, then, if that's what conflict is, what is peace? Two things I think that we need to recognize as far as what peace is in order to understand the source of peace and the gift of peace. In part, peace in relationships is the absence of hostilities, the absence of open warfare, whether it's verbal or otherwise. A pleasantness. But we can experience some sort of external appearance of peace in terms of it doesn't appear that there's any conflict or hostility, but still not be at peace. Peace is not merely an outward experience. There's no warring going on verbally or otherwise. But peace is also a disposition internally, a well-being of soul. And so this is, I believe, the peace that God establishes, is the source of, and gives to us the absence of hostilities, and a state of well-being. How do we see this? Well, first, we need to see that God is the source of peace. Notice again there in verse 9, how does Paul identify God? Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. God is the source of peace. We're used to hearing about the fact that God is good, that God is holy, that God is love, and all of these things are true. But friends, God is also peace. Judges 6.24, then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, the Lord is peace. The Lord himself is is peace. This is a reminder of what we thought about last week. Remember when we talked last week about the fact that God's goodness, that his character shows up throughout creation, through his fingerprints in what he has made. So it is with peace where there is any experience of peace, it is there because this world has been created by a God who is peace. And we cannot linger here, so I'll just give it to you as something to think about this afternoon or perhaps something to think about 
over lunch with those you have lunch with. Here, it is important that we affirm our triune God. Our triune God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit existing in eternal, harmonious, peaceful relationships. You can chew on that further. Why is the doctrine of the Trinity important for understanding God as the source of peace? So that God is the one and only source of true and lasting peace. The God who is peace is the one and only source of true and lasting peace. Elsewhere in the scriptures, Paul identifies God as the God who is the source of peace. Romans 15, 33, may the God of peace be with you all. 2 Corinthians 13, 11, finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. 1 Corinthians 14, 33, for God is not a God of confusion, but of Peace, as in all the churches of the saints. God is the source of peace, and God is the source of peace in Christ. The first and fundamental experience of peace that we must know in this life is the peace of of God that comes in Christ. Paul points to this in Philippians 4, verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds. Where? In Christ Jesus. It is in Christ Jesus that the peace of God comes to us. Hebrews 13, 20. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. And he goes on, where is true peace found in relation to God? It is only found in Christ. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Perhaps the one place where we see most plainly the connection between the saving peace of God in Christ and relational peace among people in this life. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of the world. So here Paul is saying that you, born as Gentiles, you were born as outsiders to the promises of God. And this has, in part, led to conflict between Jews and Gentiles throughout the centuries. Centuries. But then notice what he says in verse 13. But now, in Christ Jesus, where? 
in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create him in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Friends, where is true peace with God found? It is only found in the redemptive saving work of the Lord Jesus Christ. But also, where is true and lasting peace found relationally? The peace that abides in our horizontal relationships will only abide insofar as it is rooted in this reconciling work of God in Christ. To reconcile not only sinner to God, but also sinner to sinner. And where it is that conflict continues to arise, even within the church, there is, if even for a moment, what Paul Tripp describes as gospel amnesia, a forgetting of what God has done to bring us together in Christ. And there is a critical consequence here. There's a critical consequence as we recognize that God himself is the source of all true and lasting peace. And here's the consequence. And it is a good one. Friend, ultimately, peace in your life, peace in our experience with one another, it doesn't depend on us. It does not depend on us. We have a responsibility to strive after peace. But ultimately, where does peace come from? Not from our creative ingenuity. Not from the way that we can try and figure out how things ought to fit together and hope that the glue sticks. Friends, true peace comes from God Himself. When you get your AEP bill each month, If you turn over to the second page, there's a breakdown and you're charged for generation, transmission, and distribution. Now, hardly anybody looks at that, right? You just look at that top top number in the upper left-hand corner and you pay the bill or it's automatically deducted from your checking account, however you have it set up. And it's that one number. Did it go up? Did it go down? Is it staying within the budget? But if you look, it's broken down because AEP charges you for these three different aspects. And When we moved to the state of Ohio 13 years ago, it was a new experience for me to have companies competing for the generation of my electricity. We can give you a better deal than you're currently getting. And you can go to the Apples to Apples website and you can lock in your 24-month term. You can lock in your 30-day term and you can see all of the offers there to lock in your rates for the generation of your electricity. Friends, we cannot generate the peace in ourselves that this world needs. We cannot pay the cost of 
the peace that is required to generate the peace that this world needs. It is only God in Christ that can supply the peace that we desperately need and that this world needs. God is peace. Judges 6.24, God is the source of peace. But praise God, the one who is himself the source of peace is also the giver of peace. He is the one who gives the gift of peace. Here, turning back to Philippians chapter 4, whereas in verse 9, Paul describes God as the source of peace, the God of peace. In verse 7, the order of words is flip-flopped so that where it was, where it is later, God of peace. Now, at the beginning of verse 7, the peace of God. That is, the peace that God gives, the peace that God supplies. 2 Thessalonians 3.16 also identifies the gift of God's peace. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord of peace be with you all. God is not only the source of peace, he is the giver of peace to his people. So that as we think about the gift of God's peace, I want to quickly draw attention to seven truths, seven truths about the gift of God's peace. Some of these draw out from what we have already said. Some of them are other observations. But first, this gift of God's peace, God's gift of peace comes to us by faith in Christ. God's gift of peace comes to us by faith in Christ. In this way, the gift of God's peace is a one-time event. And we see this in Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, that is made right with God through trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, the result is we have peace with God. We said earlier that Conflict arises when the expectations of one are not met. Friends, we are, apart from Christ, in conflict with God because we have not lived up to his perfect, holy, righteous requirements. Our sin brings fracturing with God, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord, so that if you will turn from your sin and put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, not because of anything that you have done, but because of everything that God has done in Christ, there is peace with God. From the moment you come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, until you behold the Lord Jesus with your eyes in eternity. There is peace with God because of the saving work 
of God in Christ. So if you're here today and you do not know this saving peace with God by faith in Christ, will you turn to Christ today? All of the other things that I'm going to say about peace and really everything else that I have said up to this point hinges on this one thing that you would know by faith the forgiving love of God in Christ. And that can only be yours as you not try and somehow earn it, but you cry out right where you are, trusting in Christ, laying your life now and forever into his hands, trusting in his saving work. Will you do that today if you don't know Christ? God's gift of peace comes to us by faith in Christ. In this way, God's gift of peace is a one-time experience. But also, God's gift of peace comes with His presence. God's gift of peace comes with His presence. Notice what Paul says there in verse 9 of Philippians 4. Practice these things, the example of Paul, the teaching, applying the teaching of the Apostle Paul. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. The peace that God supplies comes with the gift of his presence with his people. And friends, this is an incomprehensibly great and valuable gift. Do you remember that picture in Exodus 33? You remember the story of the golden calf while Moses was up on the mountain? And he comes down, and Moses, you can read more of the story yourself, but the crux of it for now is this. Moses cries out to the Lord that he does not want to lead the people if God's presence is not going to go with them. It is only if the presence of God is with them that they can go forward as God's people. And this is the treasure that is that third book of the Old Testament where all of your pages are stuck together and Bible reading plans go to die, the book of Leviticus. Because friends particularly the first 10 chapters, but really in many respects the entire book, is God's gift to his people for the way in which his presence can dwell among them and not consume them. Because he is a holy and righteous God, and they are a sinful people. And so it is a gift to them that he gives them the means for his presence to continue to dwell with them. And now... And now, because of Christ, what is the promise? That there is not a geographic location where we must go to worship the living God as the unique place in where His presence dwells, but instead, 
in Christ, you are given the Holy Spirit when you come to faith in Christ so that his presence in a special way is with us always so that Paul can describe the people of God as the temple of the living God because the Spirit of God dwells with us. And as the Spirit of God dwells with us, one of the gifts that the Spirit gives to God's people is the gift of peace. This is why Galatians 5, what is one of the fruit of the Holy Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, and so forth. God's gift of peace comes with His presence. But also, God's gift of peace is incomprehensible. Verse 7, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. There are two ways to understand that phrase, surpassing all understanding. And I don't think we have to pick between one or the other. I, I think they work hand in hand together. On the one hand, God's gift of peace is incomprehensible. It surpasses our human comprehension. In at least two ways. Sometimes the peace of God in the life of a believer just shows up unexpectedly. That is, you're worried about something. You're experiencing some form of anxiety. And God's grace, by the gracious presence of His Spirit, calls to mind Scripture or truth about God. And the peace of God, which was not there a second ago, calms the heart in a way that is beyond human comprehension. But also, God's gift of peace is incomprehensible in a way that sometimes a non-believing world can't comprehend it. They can't comprehend how a person trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ can walk through a terminal diagnosis can walk through a loved one in hospice care nearing the end of their days and have a measure of peace. A non-believing world cannot comprehend that kind of peace that God supplies by the gift of His Word and the gift of His presence. But also, the other way to take that phrase... And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, friends, God's gift of peace is better than anything our minds can come up with. We spent a number of weeks thinking about anxiety and worry and so forth. And oftentimes in our fear, we're trying to come up with solutions to the problem that we perceive in order to put our mind at rest. Friends, the peace that God supplies far exceeds anything that we can come up with on our own. In this way, God's peace surpasses all understanding. But also notice that God's gift of peace stands to guard or to protect the interior life of the believer. God's peace guards the interior life of the believer. Notice again verse 7, 
and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. One commentator observes this. The Roman garrison stationed there in Philippi and guarding the Roman peace, that was the Pax Romana, could only exert external pressure. But God's peace guards the interior life, the hearts and minds of believers in Christ. Friends, in this world of conflict, in this world plagued by sin, with an absence of peace all around us and at times showing up in our own hearts, God's primary concern is our internal peace in this life. We'll say more about that next week as we dig into Paul's statement about contentment in Philippians 4.10 and following. But God is concerned about your internal peace. And he gives that peace that passes all understanding. But also, but also, God's gift comes to us by faith in Christ. It comes with his presence. It's incomprehensible. It's better than what our minds can come up with. It stands to guard or protect the interior life of the believer. But also, God's gift of peace, experiencing the peace that God supplies in this life, friends, it's a lifelong process. It's a lifelong process. And you know what? That's good news. On the face of it, it kind of sounds like bad news. Because we think, I want it now. I want the peace of God completely now. No more conflict, no more problem. But if we're honest, we, we know that that's just not how life works, is it? And so we could hear that peace is a... We could hear this about God's peace and we're just struggling and we can feel that as a weight and a burden and think that there must be a problem with us and the reality is, is that there is a problem with us. It is our sin that we need God's ongoing help with. But there is good news here that the peace that God supplies and experiencing that peace is a lifelong process. So press on and it will never be finished. There is more opportunity to grow in experiencing the greatness of the gift of God's peace. Because as we have read elsewhere in Philippians, it is God who is at work in us, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And so he is continually at work in our hearts so that we might grow in knowing this internal peace, so that we might grow in experiencing relational peace, growing in becoming peacemakers. Remember what the Lord Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the sons of God. And here we need to be reminded, don't we? as we long to grow in experiencing that internal rest of soul that God supplies by his word, as we long to grow in experiencing relational peace, 
And as we confront the reality that, friends, this is a lifelong process, we must go back to what we said just a moment ago, and that is, it is God himself who is the source of this peace, so that we must continually rely on him. We must continually look to him. We must continually trust him. We must continually plead with him to help us grow in experiencing and living out the peace that he has so graciously supplied to us in the person of the Lord Jesus. Our, the book that we're working through on Wednesday night helps in that direction. There are a number of other resources. If you're interested in those, you can email me and I'll, I'll send them to you. But lastly, lastly, the seventh observation about the gift of God's peace is this. The full gift of God's peace awaits the return of Jesus. The full gift of God's peace awaits the return of Jesus. Paul uses the phrase, the God of peace, elsewhere to point in this direction. Romans 16, 20, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. That is not temporarily, it's, it's just about to happen, but imminently, it could happen at any moment. The God of peace will bring to completion the confinement of the evil one so that he will wreak his havoc no more. This is an echo of that promise that God made to the serpent in Eden that one of the woman's line would come and crush the head of the serpent. And friends, the one has come to crush the serpent in the giving of himself for our sin in his resurrection from the dead. But there is a day that we are waiting for him to finally put to rest beyond a shadow of a doubt the defeat of all sin and all evil when he comes back to reign over all things so that the full gift of God's peace awaits the return of Jesus. And so as we wait, we strive to grow in experiencing the gift of God's peace internally, in our relationships, resting and rejoicing in the gift of God's peace that he has supplied in Christ. Isaiah 2.4 reads this. He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. An anticipation of a future peace to come. Did you know, and if you've been with us on Wednesday nights, you've, you've heard me say this, but did you know that there is a wall in New York City in a park opposite the United Nations. It's entitled the Isaiah Wall, and it has Isaiah 2-4 inscribed on it. He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for the peoples. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Friends, 
the United Nations can only wish to know and realize this kind of peace. This kind of future global peace will only be known when the Lord Jesus comes back and establishes his peace. That will be beyond all comprehension. But friends, the promise is that he will return and establish his peace. And so we wait and so we celebrate and we strive to live as his people, living out the gift of peace that he has purchased for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to you one more time, Father, we thank you for the gift of the Lord Jesus. We thank you, Father, that in his death and resurrection, that he has purchased peace. We thank you that, as Paul writes in Ephesians 2, he is our peace, reconciling us to you, but also reconciling us to one another. Thank you, Father, that in Christ we can know your peace that passes all understanding. Thank you that in Christ we can know the promise of your presence with us that brings the peace that only you can supply. Father, help us. Help us to treasure the gift of peace that is forgiveness in Christ. And help us, Father, to grow. Help us to grow in pursuing peace so that we might fulfill those words that Paul wrote in Romans 12. Insofar as it depends on you, live at peace with all. Help us, Father, to grow in treasuring your peace, experiencing your peace, and living out the peace that you so graciously give to us in Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.